morning. Merry Christmas. It's finally here. It felt like this year there was just, December was long. I don't know, like there was all these Christmas activities and Christmas was coming and and now it's it's here. Um, it's exciting. Uh, thanks for everybody who came out last Monday and helped out with the toy distribution. It was awesome. If, if you didn't hear about what happened, we had 400 families come onto our campus on Monday, and the parents uh, were able to come into our cafe, and while they waited for their turn to go into the gym, we had awesome volunteers cooking up lattes and hanging out and spending time, and tons of people baked goods. And then we went into the, the gym, and they got like a personal shopper, and they got to go around and pick out toys uh, for their kids. And then we wrapped them for them, or they wrapped them with us. And uh, so this Christmas, their kids are going to get a present, not from Bridges Community Church, but from mom and dad. And it was just, I really felt like was a time where our volunteers really loved on our community and shared the good news of Jesus, both in words as our volunteers interacted in the cafe, but also just in deeds and in love. So thank you for being part of that. I know so many of you here had some contribution to that. And uh, thank you for loving our city and Yeah, we can clap for that. Thank you, volunteers. Um, But that's not what we're talking about today. I could talk about that for a while, though, because it's exciting. Uh, We're continuing our series on Christ for All. And it's been really fun because we've been looking at different people who first met the Christ, who kind of on that first Christmas got to meet Jesus right away. And how did they respond? And the first person we talked about was kind of an unlikely Christmas character, and that was Herod. And Herod was confronted with Jesus. He was confronted with the Christ. And instead of being excited, instead of finding hope in that, he was threatened. And he responded in self-defense. And then the week after that, Ron talked about Anna and Simeon. And these were two... uh, temple workers, kind of holy people that had been waiting their entire life. They'd been anticipating the Christ. And when they got to hold that baby, when they got to see Christ, they realized what they were looking at and their anticipation found fulfillment. And we talked about just the excitement of of who Christ is. And this week we're looking at the shepherds. And the shepherds are some individuals who were just, I think, going about their normal life. And and they were confronted with Christ. And they were just overwhelmed with hope and excitement and emotion. They They got caught up in the story. I was just thinking about shepherds a little bit this week as I was prepping for this. And just thinking that probably they were the profession that sort of operated around the community. But people probably didn't think a whole lot about them. Like, how many would consider ranchers a Silicon Valley occupation, right? None of us do, but our hills are filled with cows. There must be ranchers that call the Silicon Valley home, but we don't think about them, do we? And I'm sure that every Palestinian village had shepherds operating all around their village. They don't have fancy barbed wire or fences. Uh, It's a desert, so it's not like they can just plop the the sheep out there in a nice grass field and say, okay, eat, I'll come back in a month. Like, these were people, it was a hard job. 
they had to travel around keeping track of these sheep, trying to find little valleys and streams, places with a little bit of water, a little bit of vegetation. Um, probably because of the, the difficulty of the job. I don't think this was a, a job for old men. You know, I think this is something you made your kids do. That's why you had kids, so they go take care of the sheep in the field. Um, and, and so I, I imagine it, that there's this group of shepherds outside of Bethlehem. They've been walking their sheep all along. Imagine a bunch of high school age boys. They get a little fire going maybe. They kind of got the sheep all tucked in. They're sitting around. They're telling stories. They're being teenagers. They're cracking jokes. And something happens that night that must have changed their life. Something happened that caught them up in the emotion, the excitement, that, that made it so that at the end of that they go running down the mountain to find the Christ. And that's the story we're going to read here in Luke chapter 2. If you want to open your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. And it tells the story of these, these shepherds. You okay? Man, we lost a cameraman back there, I guess. All right. Luke 2, chapter 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch of their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with a great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who had heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. What a beautiful passage, isn't it? It's familiar. It's something many of us have heard maybe every year, at least once, only on Christmas time because you can't teach on this any other time of the year. It's against the rules. But these shepherds, they're going about their day. And what I think really stood out to me as I was going through it this year is that they got caught up in the excitement. They were overwhelmed with the joy, the excitement that is Christ. And, and I was thinking about that for us. Like, I, I think this message is still as profound today as it was 2,000 years. And there is something about the Christmas story. There is something about Christ coming to earth that should catch us up in excitement, that, that should make us emotional, that should make us excited. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I had an experience where I got caught up in something. Um, I was a freshman in high school, and I had just transferred to this new school. 
Um, I didn't know a whole lot of people. I didn't know a lot. And I remember I, I was going to school one day. It was kind of a normal day. It was a Monday. And I show up at school and everybody's talking. And what I, I quickly find out about is our principal got fired over the weekend. And he was a loved principal by the students. Now, as I'm an adult and I think back on that, like the fact that the principal got fired mid-year uh, probably speaks a little bit to what was going on. But at the time, everybody was upset about it. All the students were upset about it. This was our principal. We loved him, and we were ready to protest. Um, I wasn't. I was, didn't even know who. I don't even think I knew who the principal was, but I, everybody's talking. Okay, after first period, we're going to march. We're going to go out. We're going to walk out of school, and, you know, I'm not going to turn down a good march. So I, I was like, all right, let's go. Yeah. And I remember, so we all start marching out of class, and we're chanting different things. We don't even know what we're doing. We're just, like, making it up, you know, trying to pretend like we're in some civil rights video, you know, protesting our principal being ousted. And, and we're chanting. We're kind of marching around. And I remember the bell rung to, to go back to class. And people start to kind of go. So it's like, all right, cool. I guess the, the party's over. And some of the upperclassmen started, like, running to their cars, And I'm a freshman. I didn't have a car. So I was like, well, I guess I can't participate in whatever that is. And I remember my buddy Kevin comes running by. He goes, come on. I know an upperclassman. Let's go. It's like, all right, let's go. So we run out to like this old Dodge van, like not a nice minivan or nothing. Like you picture it. And I remember the the door slides open and there's this old mattress with no like bed sheet or nothing. That's the bed of this van, and we all pile in. There's like 10 of us that pile into the back of this van, and we speed off, and I have no idea where we're going. I'm just caught up in the excitement. We go, we end up at the principal's house that had just been fired, and he comes out, and he thanks us for our support or whatever, and, and then we go, and we go to this insurance agent, and I think that the insurance agent must have been on the school board or something like this, and the insurance agent comes out, and he's starting to talk to us, and then I don't know what happened, but somehow magically donut holes appeared. Somebody must have brought them. So we all start throwing donut holes at this poor man. Um, and it was, it was just, we were caught up in this. And then after that, like, we get dropped back off at the school, and we don't want to go back to class. We just become anarchists, you know. So we all walk to this, like, local diner, and we're sitting around talking about how we've broken the law for the sake of this man or whatever. And I look back on that now, like just with, not even embarrassed, just how stupid, right? Like that's the most teenager thing to get caught up in something for some cause that I had no idea what it was about. The only reason I was out there was because of the excitement of what was going on. And I think about that in comparison to these shepherds. These shepherds, in a very similar way, were just minding their business. They were just going about their life and they got caught up in what the angel had said so much that they were so excited that they couldn't just continue their night as it was, that they they had to see what was going on. They had to experience who this Christ was. And here we are, we're 2,000 years later, and I think the excitement is just as real. It is just as the the Christ has come. The message that that angel spoke that night 2,000 years ago is every bit as real and transforming and overwhelming if we let it sit in. 
And I think sometimes we can, we can miss it. We can tell this story in such a way that we just, it's just kind of a nice sentimental story. Instead of realizing that God himself came into the world, became the sacrifice for the sins of you and I, died on a cross and rose again. And so when we celebrate Christmas, that should catch us up a little bit. That should excite us a little bit, shouldn't it? These, these guys are sitting there and an angel appears to them. Must have been a pretty scary sight, I would imagine. <laughs> and I know it was because the angel said, hey, don't stress out. Don't be afraid. I'm coming. I got this good news, this good news of great joy unto you has been born the Savior, the Christ, the King. He's here. And then what's, what's really cool about this is it says, then the angel is joined by a heavenly host. I don't even know what that means, right? Like we kind of think of a heavenly host as a bunch of cute little cherub-looking angel things, and they're singing all in unison. Um, that might be what it looked like. There's some scenes in the book of Revelations that talk about heavenly hosts with all these different creations of what God has created. And that might be more accurate of what was going on. But, but this massive, just overwhelming force comes around them and says, Christ has been born. Glory to God in the highest. And, and what do the guys do? They just sit up there and talk about it for a while? No, they say, we got it. We got to see this. We got to go check this out. And it says, and they made haste. Okay, which... I think means they went fast, I think is what that word means. And they ran down the, ho- the hill with their nice LED lights with the lithium-ion batteries, <laughs> right? Safety first. No. So I was thinking about that, too. So just if you want to experience what the shepherds experienced that first night, tonight, hike up Mission Peak. When you get to the top, throw your flashlights over the edge and race each other down the mountain and to see if the ambulance is waiting for you at the bottom, all right? They, they were so overwhelmed. They were so excited that they, they rushed out to see this baby. But they didn't rush out to see a baby, did they? I don't think so. I think they rushed out to see the Christ. So the question I want us to kind of really dig into for a little bit is, what is so amazing, what is so exciting about the Christ, about Jesus? Again, it's no ordinary night for these guys. They've just seen angels. They've just seen a host of heavenly beings. And what's the message that they heard? I think that's a little bit interesting. That angel says, okay, check it out. I bring you this good news that's great joy for all people. The Christ, the King, he's here. That's pretty exciting. But then he goes on to say, all right, here's going to be your sign. You're going to find a baby, and he's going to be camping out in a barn with his parents. And you should be able to know which one he is because he's the one laying in the food bucket. That must have, for for the shepherds, that must have been a little bit of a trip, Right? Like, wait a second. I thought we were talking about the Messiah, the King, the Chosen One. I've heard people talking about this. And now you're saying that I'm going to find this baby laying in a food bucket in a barn, wrapped in swaddling clothes? Like, 
babies are cute, right? We all like seeing babies. We like holding babies. But there's nothing that exciting about a baby, especially a newborn. They just sit there. They can't even make eye contact with you. They're, they're helpless. They're defenseless. And yet that's the sign. So they go rushing down the mountain. And I think the reason they're rushing down the mountain is they understand something about the message they've heard. They understand something about who Christ is. And so uh, one of the, the things that stood out to me is what is so exciting about the Christ. And the first point I saw is it really is about the magnitude of who the Christ is, of what this baby, what they realized it represent, what they realized it was. It's, a, it's an issue of the magnitude that makes it overwhelming. Um, again, we've, we've already talked a little bit about the experience that these shepherds had seen. What they had seen was so overwhelming, was so big, that I don't think they could have just kind of rolled over and gone back to sleep or gone back to their conversation. Right? Could you imagine, like, an army of heavenly beings, like, breaks through the night sky, like, radiates. It says the very glory of God accompanied that angel. And, and they couldn't just turn to each other and go, wow, that was weird, right? Man, that's, what a dream that was. Dude, did you leave the hummus out a little bit? Something's not right here. No, they, they had, to, they had to, to follow it up because they realized the scale of what they had seen was too significant to be ignored. Okay, we all live in California. How many people have experienced an earthquake? Okay, wow, <laughs> most of us. Okay, yeah, if you live in California long enough, you experience an earthquake. Who lived here in 1989? Anybody? Yeah, a lot of us did, okay? Um, so in 1989, I was looking at it. There was something like 200 measurable earthquakes in 1989. But when people talk about the quake of 1989, are they talking about those 200 earthquakes? No, they're talking about the Loma Prieta earthquake, the one big one, right? And what made that earthquake different than all of the other earthquakes? The magnitude of it, the scale of it. So what is it that made Jesus different than all the other babies that were born in Bethlehem, maybe on that same night? It's the magnitude of it. It's that no other baby who's ever been born in history needed a host of heavenly beings to announce the glory of God on its coming. No other baby needed an angel to come and say, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. The scale of that is overwhelming. And again, when we talk about Christmas, when we talk about what it is that we are celebrating, we are not talking about just another moment in history. We're not talking about just another tradition, just another fable, just another um, historical fact. We're talking about God himself, the creator entering creation for the sake of the salvation of his own creation. And all of that brings glory to God. That's why those heavenly beings said glory to God in the highest. Because they realized what we are learning, what we are realizing as people, that God coming into earth brings glory to God himself. And that was something to talk about. That was something to be excited about. That was something to be emotional about. And I, I think that is part of the reason that these shepherds went charging down the hill. 
why they went to find this baby because they knew that there was something significant about that. There's another uh, point that I, I think is worth making here, and it's that the hope of Christ, that the hope of Christ really is overwhelming, right? That what the angels were talking about, that the hope that Jesus brings really was overwhelming. It was exciting. It was significant. It was something that they wanted to experience. I love the line that the angel says here. I've been kind of thinking about it quite a bit this week. First angel shows up. Hey, don't be stressed out. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Think about it. That's a pretty complex sentence, right? Good news of great joy for all people. Like talking about just adding on. I mean, good news is, is good news, right? We all like hearing good news. But most of us, I think we would realize that good news is not always good news for all people, is it? Good news doesn't always bring us great joy. Sometimes we just hear good news and it just is something that passes. Hey, good news, I got an A on my test. Oh, that's great, I'm happy for you. Hey, good news. Uh, For example, I like to ski and snowboard. So when it starts to rain here in the Bay Area, that's good news for me because that means it's snowing in the mountains, okay? If you are a construction worker and you make your living working outside, it starts to rain, that's not good news for you, okay? So we all realize that, that there's very few good news in our world that truly has universal appeal to all of us. And yet the angel is talking about this good news. It's the word that we get the word gospel from. The good news of the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. That's what the angel is referring to. And it's going to, throughout the entire New Testament, it's going to keep coming back to this idea of good news. And we realize, especially as we read all of the New Testament, what that good news means. That the good news is Jesus coming as a substitute for our brokenness for our sin, for our shame. He says, and check this out. This good news is going to bring you great joy. And it's going to be for all people. Now, again, it's, it's, we think about this. Well, what does that mean, good news? It, that's great joy. Clearly, not everybody who met Christ experienced great joy. Herod didn't experience great joy, right? Uh, There's other people that, that saw, that it passed by, that they missed it. And yet, the truth of the salvation of Jesus is universally a place of joy for all people. And if we, we miss it, we miss it. And the, the, the point here, I think, that the angel is making is that this is universal. This is not just one individual person. This isn't just good news for the city of Bethlehem. This isn't just good news for the people of Israel. There's something different about this good news that in your collective history as a people, as a nation of Israel, that you cannot yet understand because it is not just for you. It is going to bring great joy to all people. And that is why we can sit here, people of European descent, people of Asian descent, people of Latino descent, people of African descent, and we can come here and we can hear this Christmas story and we can find hope and meaning and be overwhelmed by the power of who Christ is and the salvation that he brings because it is not limited to any one person, to any one group of people, that it is for all. Isn't that exciting? 
We talk about um, the mosaic culture, the diversity that is bridging. The reason that we get excited about that isn't just because it makes us feel good as a church that we're diverse. It's because it speaks to the glory and the awesomeness of who God is, that God in his incredible creativity could create people who are so diverse and have such different cultures and such different ways of thinking and experiencing the world, and yet he can universally call them to himself. And we see that in the Christmas story. And we can get excited about that. There's another thing that I I think is really cool about this passage, and that is the closeness of Christ here. See, I think that the closeness of Christ is really compelling in this. I was thinking about this. Like, I don't know how much light source that the city of Bethlehem had. Probably not a lot, right? They got those little lamps. Um, They probably had some little cooking fires. But I imagine there was at least some glow as the shepherds looked down on the city of Bethlehem. There was some baker that was starting his day early, baking some bread, or somebody who was up reading a story under a lamp. And the angel says, hey, in the city of David, that city right down there is the Christ. And then he goes on, and look at, look at all the, the, um, the different pronouns that are used in here. Fear not, for I bring good news of great joy for all people, for under you is born in the city of David, who is Christ. And this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Four different times the word you is used here in this passage. And, and it's pretty clear that that while the message of the gospel is for all people of all time, there is something deeply personal about it. That there's something deeply personal about the Christmas story. The fact that millions and trillions of people have been worshiping and have heard this Christmas story throughout human history for the last 2,000 years. And yet when we hear it, we should hear it as you, as me. Under you has been born the Christ. And he's right there. You can walk down. You can experience him. You can sense it. It's a personal invitation. Isn't it always feel good to get a personal invitation to something versus like a more general invitation? I remember a while back, some friends of ours were getting married. And a bunch of people, they're, they're friends, but they weren't that close of friends. And a bunch of people were getting invitations. And Becca and I didn't get one. And we were like, oh, that's... That's interesting. But they, they were getting married a ways away, and it was not a big deal. We're like, okay, cool. Um, we didn't think a whole lot about it. And then one day I get a Skype call from this couple. And they go, hey, are, do you have a second? Can we both talk to you? We really want you to, to uh, do the wedding. Would you be willing to come down and to officiate the wedding? And it totally changed my thought on the wedding, right? I'll be honest, I probably wasn't going to go to that even if I would have gotten a little paper invitation in the mail. It was distance. And, but all of a sudden, I got this personal invitation saying, hey, we would like you to be a part of this. And, and in that, what that communicated to me was that our friendship, our relationship is significant enough that you'd want me to be part of that. And if it's significant enough to you for me to be part of that, I want to be a part of that with you. Think about that as the Christmas story. That you are significant enough to God that God would send Jesus for you. 
And the story I hear in the, in the Gospels, especially in the book of Luke, is that he didn't come just for everybody else and not you, but he came specifically for you. And there's a proximity that we can experience him, that God is both the God of the universe and the God of you. What a cool reality that is, isn't it? In recent years, it used to be very common for kind of evangelicals to say, uh, to talk about a personal relationship with Jesus, right? You've probably heard that phrase used a lot. And in recent years, um, we've kind of gotten away from that a little bit because that speaks to it, because we realize, especially in uh, kind of the Western church, that we've overemphasized the personal nature of our relationship, that we're not just individually called into relationship with Jesus, but we are as a community, as a covenant community called into relationship with Jesus. And so we, we've not said that quite as much, but I, I think that there is that reality in here, that God is calling us to personally experience him. That, that there is something deeply personal about the relationship with Christ that God wants us to have. Those shepherds, they could have stayed up there on the hill and they could have said, wow, we've experienced such a cool thing. They would have had the story to tell. They would have spent the rest of their life talking about the angels they'd seen, the host of heavenly armies and all the, the craziness that they'd saw. They didn't have to go down to Bethlehem that night to personally experience the Christ to have an incredible night. But they did. And what's cool about that is I see as they go down and they experience this, this child and they start telling the story, they tell everybody who's gathered around, hey, this is what the angels told us about the baby. And Mary hears that and says she treasures that up in her heart. And then they go back on their way and what are they doing? They're praising the Lord for what they had seen and experienced, that there was something even greater than a host of heavenly armies in the face of this baby. They saw Christ. They saw God himself. They personally experienced it. So if we're getting caught up in the Christmas spirit, I don't think it's just about this general spirit. There's something, I think, incredibly applicable in this passage. This Christmas, are we going to personally experience Jesus? We're going to call out to him. We're going to confess our sins before him. We're going to say, Jesus, I need you. Are we going to hear those words to ourselves? After the service, we take some time to pray. And if, if you want to pray that prayer, if you want to to, to have that conversation. We'd love to pray with you. You can pray that individually. But I, I encourage all of us, whether we've been a Christian for 20 years or whether you've not yet trusted Jesus, that maybe today is a day that you personally confess your allegiance to him, that you call on him. I want to talk a little bit before we wrap up here about, okay, if we are overwhelmed by who Christ is, if we get caught up in the, the story, the overwhelming truth of the Christmas story, how should we respond to that? What do we see here in the shepherds that, that they respond? And the first is they went and saw him. They, they came down the mountain, right? That's what we just talked about, that, that calling out to him personally experienced them, that that they decided that, okay, we've got to see this for ourselves. 
We have got to experience this. And again, I think the Christian life is one that's experiential. It's not just a system of dogma that we believe, although Christianity does have a a system of beliefs. It's not just a, a set of practices that we have to obediently do, although there are practices and spiritual disciplines that are part of the Christian life. But at its core, the Christian life is this relationship with the God, the creator of the universe that we get to experience, that we get to walk in. So let's not pass this season by and not experience that. Let's not miss it. And instead, let's be people who, who go and see and experience and do it with haste, right? They, they ran down the mountain. Like, take advantage of this time. And, and the last thing I see here, the kind of the another take it home or something for us to, to really kind of think about is they told the story. Um, they got excited about what they saw and they talked about it. First off, they come down and they're talking to Mary and Joseph and they're like, okay, guys, I don't know if you know this, but that baby is the Christ. And Joseph's probably like, dude, no kidding. I saw an angel too. What a trip. Who's your angel? Was it Gabriel? Oh, that guy. He's awesome, isn't he? And Mary's like, yeah, me too. We know. Isn't this incredible? And they're trying to probably still put it together. They probably still don't fully understand it. But I would imagine they sat there in that barn for a little bit telling each other the story. And then it says they went back up. They went on their way and they continued to tell the story. I kind of imagine them walking through Bethlehem. Like as people are starting to come out in the morning they're getting ready to go draw well water from the well or get their little breakfast fire started. I, I just imagine these shepherds going, dude, the barn around the corner is God. Crazy, it's Christ. Can you believe it? I, we saw angels and people are like, okay, crazy. And then they go back up and they're talking, they're telling the story. And, and here's one of the things that I just really stood out to me this week as I was thinking about that. We come here on a Sunday morning, and there is something really important and profound about us worshiping together. Because when we sing these songs, when we worship together, we are telling each other the story. We're reminding each other of the story of the gospel. We're saying good news to each other. And there is something really important about us repeating that story here corporately in worship, but also in our life groups. That's one of the great joys about being in a life group with other people is we're reading the Bible, we're encouraging each other, we're reminding each other about the good news. That is great joy for all people. But if we don't take that story outside the walls of this this place, I think we're missing, we're missing something. There, there, there seems to be a little bit of a gap in our authenticity, I would even say. If we come in here and say, yay, Jesus, 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 and we go out there and we're like, well, yeah, I'm, kind of, I'm a Christian, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we all have our faiths, but I'm a Christian. Okay, it's how I was raised. And we're embarrassed or we're ashamed or we don't speak boldly about this good news that is great joy for all people. Do we believe that? Do we believe that this Christmas... Your unbelieving uncle that has not yet experienced the good news of Jesus. Do we believe that the greatest joy that he can experience or your aunts or your brothers or your sisters or your friends. Do we really believe that the greatest joy they can experience is Christ the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
right? That's the story we get to tell. And I think as we get caught up in this, as we emotionally engage in this, as we get excited about this, we begin to tell that story. We begin to tell it where we live, where we work, where we play, the people we interact with. That is the the message we get to, to proclaim. And that message is every bit as profound. It's every bit as exciting as it was 2,000 years ago when an angel came onto that hillside outside of Bethlehem. It's every bit as cool. So as we, we leave here, kind of as we think about it, tomorrow's Christmas Eve, right? We get to come here and worship together. Uh, the day after that is Christmas Day. We have this awesome opportunity to tell that story, to be excited about that, to get caught up in the hope that is Jesus. So let me pray for us, and let's, uh, as a church, let's make that our, our excitement, our hope, our emotion for this Christmas is to, to be able to experience and to tell that story with each other. God, we just praise you that you are the Messiah, that you came in such a humble way, that you shattered our expectations, that you shattered even our own desires and hopes, and you showed us something so much greater than we could have ever imagined. And you continue to, to show us something that is beyond our own imagination. God, you are the Christ. You are the Savior, the Messiah. You are the meaning of Christmas. You are the reason that we celebrate. Help us to see that this day. Help us to remember that as we we celebrate together. God, we thank you for coming to all people and yet coming to each one of us individually. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.